Welcome, everyone. We're so glad you're here to chat with us. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Lauren. We're excited to share conversations, stories, and an in-depth perspective of United Way's commitment to the Valley. Today, we are joined by a team of visionary leaders from our community that have joined forces together in bringing a program called Cure Violence to Columbus. Cure Violence is a community-based, data-driven violence prevention program that addresses violence as a public health epidemic. For a few years now, this team, which includes Mr. Reggie Lewis, who couldn't be here with us today, Dr. Asante Hiltz, and Mr. Cedric Hill II, his father, Mr. Cedric Hill, and his sister, Dr. Ashley Hill, who have all been working on this huge undertaking of tackling the growing problem of crime in our community. Thank you all so much for being here with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. For having us. Could y'all start by just telling us a little bit about yourselves? Yeah, absolutely. I'll get started. My name is Asante Hiltz and I serve as the district program manager for the West Central Health District. Here locally, I am in the Columbus Health Department um, and I've been in this role for about three years now. And about two years ago, I joined forces with the rest of our team to begin the planning process for launching Cure Violence in Columbus. Yes, I'm Cedric Hill. I am the uh, small groups pastor at Christ Community Church. Um, I'm from Columbus and I've been back in Columbus a couple of years now and uh, we've been working on this process and it's really exciting to see what potential may come from it. Awesome. Um, so I'm interested to hear how the five of you came together. I know we you know, have two of you on here, but how did this all come about um, and what is the history behind Cure Violence? Yeah, so, uh, so it really started out with my dad, Cedric and Reggie. So uh, going way back, my dad's been a funeral director in the Columbus area for a very long time now, since I was a young child and probably before I was even born. And uh, Reggie's a former police officer in Columbus. And so uh, they met because Reggie would do uh, detail for escorting the funerals to the cemetery uh, when, uh, when my dad was doing uh, funerals and so they met then they didn't really have much of, of, of a relationship at that point in time but they just knew each other and uh years later uh probably somewhere around 2016 they just started bumping into each other a lot and they just eventually sat down and had a conversation and said what's going on in your world what are you up to and they kind of just talked up on the fact that this violence thing was a big deal. My dad was starting to have um, quite a few services for some of the people that were being killed in our city. And the two of them just said, what can we do about it? And I, I moved back to Columbus in 2019 and I kind of joined into some of their conversations and we went on the mayor's bus tour uh, back in 2019 as well. And that is actually where we met um, Dr. Hilton. That was a really interesting experience because we were going around to all these different places in Columbus and um, to parts of town that many people did not know were as bad as they are and really was an eye-opening experience for a lot of people. And that's where, again, where we met Dr. Hilton, how she kind of came onto, onto the team as well. And we kind of just went from there and, and uh, things have moved forward and we really didn't know at the time what things were gonna look like. But um, we, one day Reggie was watching, I wanna say Reggie was watching Georgia Public Broadcast and um, this cure violence thing came up on the screen. 
And as we did research on it, we found that this was probably the, the type of thing that we want to do. So um, this program was uh, developed by an epidemiologist um, in the Chicago area. And he, after doing um, studies and work on infectious disease in many other foreign countries, he came back to Chicago and saw the, the, the soaring rate of violence in that city and went, let me look at the statistics and let me look at the data. And what he found was that uh, violence, occurrences of violence were, uh, looked very similar to the way that disease spreads. And so if you looked at maps, uh, overlaid maps of violent activity with overlaid maps of, let's say, HIV or another infectious disease in, in a different country, the maps look very similar. And so he came up with this idea that maybe we could treat violence the way that we treat infectious disease and use these same public health models and principles in order to try to um, actually fight violence in, in, in certain communities. And so that's how the, that's how the program was developed. Um, and it's in a multitude of cities in the United States now, and it's in a multitude of uh, countries as well. And so um, we feel like this is a, not just a good model, but it's also tested. It's, it has a proven track record and um, it's a very holistic approach. And so that's why we're really excited about it. And, and I'll add to that, too, some of our background and our history. As Cedric already said, I was on that mayor's good, bad, and ugly bus tour, and Mayor Skip Henderson spearheaded that, and it was awesome. And since I'm new to Columbus, I've, I've been here for about three years, I thought that was an excellent opportunity from a public health perspective to see what are the strengths of our community, what are the gaps, where can we get involved. And on that bus tour, we identified, and you'll hear the senior Cedric say this many times while we were on that tour, we were on the bus looking out at the places that needed some additional help and support. And we said to ourselves, we understand the importance and value of being on the bus, but we want to get off the bus and be in the community and start working um, with boots on the ground. So that's how, you know, we came together to say, what do we need to do to get off the bus and get in the community? And that's what Cure Violence is going to allow us to do. And prior to that bus tour and prior to knowing about uh, Cure Violence, Cedric and Reggie had tried to do a homegrown program where they would remove all the barriers from people to allow them to get some help, to get employment, to get education. And they posed that question to people in the community. If we were able to eliminate all of the distractions and barriers to ensure your success, would you be willing to, to take our help? And they had several people that were interested, but not one person was able to finish the, the degree program, the certificate program, or maintain that employment because they realized that they really had not addressed the root causes of some of those barriers that they were experiencing. And the cure violence model looks at violence in a way that's understood that there's a lot of other factors that lead up to violence and you have to address all of them to have an impact on violence. You have to look at education, you have to look at childcare, you have to look at mental health, you have to look at employment, you have to address traumatic experiences. All those things have to be addressed in order to have an impact on the end result of violence. So the same things that they experience in their homegrown program are the things that the Cure Violence program is going to address. Yeah, that's incredibly profound and important. And I'm just, I'm so glad that you all were on the bus together to connect. That's so great. Tell us more about the process of Cure Violence. 
I believe you engage with individuals in the community that are referred to as interrupters and work from a model of prevention. I'm really interested in hearing more about that. Yes, yeah, so the one of the one of the big pieces of the cure violence model is is uh, what what's called violence interrupters, and so um, these are people who have credibility within communities that we're trying to um, uh, develop. Uh, and these are people they may they may have previous have a record, they may be um, ex gang members, but they're people who have trust and credibility within the, within these communities, and so they are in the communities. Uh, building deeper trust with with people and uh, let's say a violent a a action happens they would actually be on the scene or potentially at the emergency room um, trying to diffuse the situation to prevent another act from happening stemming from the the violent act that's already happened because what we've seen is that a lot of the uh, violent activity that's happening in our community is retaliatory acts from previous um, from pre previous previous activity, and so um, the violence interrupter comes in at, at, at that level to try to prevent more violence from happening, and so that's a big piece of it. And then, you know, on uh, one of the one of the other pieces of this cure violence model is that, um, as Dr. Hiltz talked about a second ago, um, we're looking at the factors that are impacting a person's life that would possibly lead them to transmit violent activity. So. What we what we're trying to not do is look at um, people as good or bad. We're not trying to say bad people do bad things. We're trying to say we're trying to look at what um, are the adverse circumstances that have impacted your life to the point that you've come to transmit violent activity. And so, um, one of the things that we look at is social determinants of health. So, like Dr. Hills mentioned a second ago, the um, access to quality education. Um, are, are you hungry? Um, those types of those types of things, and I think that's where sort of our, our conversations with you guys have come in at, at is that you all are working on that front end of things to try to keep people from getting to that to that point. And so um, there's that prevention side of things where we want to we want to look at those factors and look at um, people who are at risk at a young age, and we also want to look at actions that are violent actions that are happening right now to see how we can prevent more of them from happening. So it's definitely a, a twofold type of uh, a view of things. And and I also add to that when we talked about what the need was in the Columbus community, there is a need to address violence, and the community understands that, and they've made made it clear that we do not want to ignore the people who have been victims to violence in this community and the deaths that occur um, every week almost here in Columbus. And so the, the goal is to identify a program that's been effective in other communities and Cedric already mentioned it, has been implemented in over a hundred cities in over 10 countries. So we know that it works. Well, now we just have to work hard to determine if it's going to be successful in Columbus and our community and the, the background work that we have done. We've proven to ourselves that we think it'll be effective here. Um, and the Cure Violence Global has been working with us to understand what what do we need to have in place to make Cure Violence successful in Columbus. The need definitely is great in our community. And we're so happy that y'all came together to offer this. What exactly has been done already in Columbus? Dr. Hill, you want to take that one? Yeah, we may we'll we'll tag team this one together. So okay, that sounds um, good. In in terms of what's been done for cure violence, um, is 
we have spent a lot of time working with our community partners and other stakeholders to help them to understand and, and just help everybody understand that Cure Violence is not um, a program that's going to be able to function independently. We have to have all of the people who've already been working in Columbus for years addressing this problem come together and we're gonna join forces to make the program successful. So for example, you have some grassroots organizations, you have some um, the, the city council members, you have people who are in public health like myself, people who are in the healthcare, who are, are working on trauma in emergency room settings, mental health providers, all of them are working to address this problem separately, individually. They all understand that and they're all dealing with the consequences of violence separately. So Cure Violence is saying we all can pull those resources together and leverage each other's strengths. And that's the only way that the program is gonna be successful. So in terms of what we've done before the pandemic happened, we were bringing our community partners together to introduce the Cure Violence model to help them understand the fundamental components and what each individual person and agency's role was gonna be to make the program successful. But then once COVID came, we weren't able to meet in person like we were doing. We were actually meeting over at Troy University. So, um, you know, a little bit later on in the pandemic, we started having virtual meetings with the same goal, bring community partners and individuals together to help them understand the Cure Violence model so that we could have Cure Violence Global come into the Columbus uh, community and perform an assessment to see what it is that's missing, what's needed for us to make Cure Violence successful. Um, so we've started to do that now, uh, picking up where we left off, uh, convening those meetings on a, uh, every other week basis and working with the community partners to say, let's prepare for the assessment that's going to come from Cure Violence Global and have those partners convene to help us. We've met with some of our faith-based partners to see how we can leverage community churches, some community organizations um, who are gonna work with young children who may have experienced uh, some, um, have had some exposure to violence. What can we do uh, every aspect, those social determinants of, of health, how can we address all of them collectively as a team? Yeah, so we are we are still in the pre-assessment phase of the of, of, of implementing the cure violence model. And so um, as Dr. Hill said, we take a lot of time to gather these uh, organizations that are that are doing stuff in our community. So we've talked about these social determinants of health a couple of times here. And what we're doing is gathering organizations that address those social determinants of health. And what happens is the, the cure violence global team comes in and they look at all that we have um and you know one of the other things we've been gathering a lot of data because as, as lindsay said when we got started here it's a data-driven program and so we want to look at what the numbers are actually telling us is going on in in specific communities and things of that nature and so they take all of that information and then they actually go around to to different places in our community they talk to people they knock on doors they want to talk to community partners um, and then they give us an implementation plan for how we can implement cure violence in columbus and so right now we've been in this uh, pre-implementation phase for quite a while now and we're hoping to be in the in the pre-assessment pre phase i mean um, we're hoping to be in the assessment phase um, pretty soon We've had, like Dr. Hilt said, we've had some conversations with the Cure Violence Global team, and so we feel like we're really getting close to being able to be there. That's exciting. That's exciting to see such progress, especially right now with the pandemic going on. Everything seems to be so slow. Mm -hmm. So that's that's really wonderful. And kudos to your team. 
Um, so we we talked a lot about how this is a health issue. Tell me more about that and and obviously we can't talk about health without also talking about mental health. How does that fit into your plan? Okay, I'll start with that um, question. So the the cure violence model looks at violence as a health issue instead of a moral issue. Like we said already, it's, instead of bad people doing bad things, looking just at the outcome of violence, what are the things that led to that? So violence clusters and it spreads and it's transmitted just like a contagious disease. And I think it's a perfect model that we're in COVID right now. Um, we're not happy that COVID is here, but it's giving us a really good model as to how a virus spreads, just like how violence spreads. So we're in a pandemic. We understand that COVID is spread person to person. So we try to isolate people who have it, right? They go into isolation. And if somebody's been exposed to it, we try to quarantine those people. And then we have prevention strategies in place for people to wear a mask and social distance and wash their hands and cover their sneeze. All those things we put in place for prevention once we've identified where the source is and where those clusters are, the hot spots. Violence is the, it's the same thing. It clusters in particular communities, right? The communities that are gonna struggle with those socioeconomic factors that we talked about, the mental health challenges and the poverty and um, the lack of support and all those things factor in. So we identify where are those clusters, where are those hotspots, where is it spreading? How do we get there? How do we have effective practitioners who can address that that disease, which in this case is violence. So that's going to be our interrupters, the people who are going to understand who are the most high risk transmitters, who are those people doing those violence acts so that we can get to them and help them find a solution to the problems that they're experiencing, whether that be a childhood traumatic experience or uh, the, the, the thought that they may have a retaliatory act because someone in their family or their circle experienced violence. How can we get to those high risk transmitters, isolate them, provide them with the cures, with all of the resources that they need to move them from the violent track so we can save a life, right? So we're trying to implement the same strategy, the same process that we use for dealing with a virus or contagious disease as we would with violence. So the, the core of that cure violence model is to interrupt the transmission, to reduce retaliatory events, you know, we already gave an example. Someone's in the emergency room because, you know, their brother was shot. They're already planning in that emergency room. How can we get back at the person that did it? That's where that interrupter, the social worker in the hospital, other members of the team are going to be there to try to interrupt that spread right then. Um, and then identify uh, what are those high risk habits and change the social norms to discourage the use of violence. We're trying to change the whole narrative. Let's do a paradigm shift so that Violence is not the norm. Oh, we know that community, they always have violence. There's always a shooting. There's always, we want to change that to say, when there's a shooting, when there's a violent act, that is, is totally abnormal. There's something wrong. It causes great alarm. Not where we are now when we see it. And it's like, oh, that's an everyday occurrence. We see it all the time. Nobody's alarmed by it. That's just people killing themselves. We want to change that so that the social norm is changed. How do we do that? How do we cultivate that change? We understand that we're not going to eliminate all gangs, for example, in our community, but we want to change the social norm of violence and killings being a norm. I love the language you're using, that it is all positive. It, like you said, removes all moral judgment, talking about um, interrupters. How, how did you refer to someone who is going to 
or has been affected. But what is that term? High risk. Is high risk transmitters. Transmitter takes all moral judgment out of that person. I, I really appreciate that language. Yeah, well, and that's the, I think that's why we've been really drawn to the model, uh, Lauren, because it is, we're not trying to, we're not trying to paint people in a certain light. We're not trying to say these people are bad and in essence saying other people are good. Um, right. We're looking like, we're, we're saying people get to a certain point based on the, the circumstances of their life. And some of us are fortunate that we have not had to to deal with some of the things that some people in, in our own community have dealt with. And so, you know, we we really like the model because we're we're trying to figure out what it is that has happened in a person's life that has gotten to them to this point, as opposed to just painting everybody with a broad brush, because we're all, you know, we all have our own individual stories. And, you know, we want to dig into that with people. Our last question we're going to get to, um, and y'all have touched a little bit about this, um, but what are the immediate and long-term impacts violence has on children that experience it? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question. And it goes to what Dr. Hills was speaking about, about uh, exposure a, a minute ago. And so what, what our model is saying is that if you have witnessed a violent act, or if violence has been in the vicinity around you, that you are at risk to transmit violence at some point in your life. And so when we are seeing children that are experiencing violence um, or having any sort of adverse childhood experience, um, that's something that we want to get involved with while they're, while they're still children and while they're, you know, while they're in middle school or while they're teenagers so that we can prevent them from getting to that point. And so the the immediate effect is that we we want to we want to isolate those kids and figure out how we can get them the assistance that they need whether it's whether it's mental health um, counseling or something of, of that nature or whatever it is that's that's going on in their life. And the long-term impact is that we hopefully can stop people from becoming violent because we're impacting them at a at a at an early age as opposed to just kind of saying you know nothing's wrong and so that's kind of the, the the children piece of it is big for us because that's the again we've talked about before that's the prevention side of things we want to we want to look at how we can keep people from becoming violent and so it's really for us it's a it's it's a really big picture kind of long-term type thing um where and and i mean we we're aware of the fact that our communities haven't haven't didn't get like this overnight many of them reggie talks frequently about how you know a lot of the communities that are still are still pretty rough today. Were rough when he was on the police force in the '90s, and so you know we know this is a, a big picture thing that we're working at. But we want to start with looking at what's happening at that young age, and so that's a huge piece of this for us. That also makes it so important for our the partnerships that we have, the organizations. Let's say, for example, Boys and Cl Girls Club. They're going to be an important asset for our partnerships because they're going to have an impression on those young children. You know, how can we utilize that partnership? Again, levering the resources of those who are already having an impact on the lives of those children in the communities that we're targeting. And is there another organization that's then gonna focus on mental health? And if there's a violent act, we understand that that violent act touches the lives of the young children, of the parent, of the siblings. What can we do to address the tra that traumatic experience that has now happened? 
what can we do to help that the family, that mother and father potentially get a certificate program so that they can have maintain employment uh, so that they can get the right help and address some of the barriers that they may be experiencing that could ultimately lead to more violence. So it, we, we know from the national and global um, program that there is data supporting the success of these programs. Can you talk a little bit about that? So we have um, several examples of where Cure Violence has been successful. Um, and I have a couple just locations that I'll share. Um, Baltimore. As one example, they've had a 56% reduction in, in killings and a 44% reduction in shootings. Philadelphia had a 30% reduction in shootings. Chicago had a 48% reduction in shootings. Um, in the community in Puerto Rico, they had a 53% reduction in killings. One site in Honduras has 17 months straight with no shootings. So there's, like I said, in those uh, 100 cities and 10 countries where care violence has been implemented, they have the data to show what that reduction in violence has been. Um, and that's that's what we're looking to replicate here. Right, that's really encouraging uh, to, to know that it, there's a model that you can replicate here in Columbus. Uh, you, you spoke a little bit about partnerships and I just wanna say how excited and grateful we are that United Way and Community Schools United can partner with you all. Um, we certainly appreciate your work. Uh, I, I imagine that people will want to get involved. Is there a way that they can reach out to you? Yes, there is. And we want people to get involved. So please reach out to us. If you visit our page, we have a Facebook page under Cure Violence Columbus. Also, if you go to our uh, westcentralhealthdistrict.com, there is a cure violence page under Columbus. So within the West Central Health District, there are 16 counties. So if you select Columbus, you'll see an icon for the cure violence program. And on our page, there's plenty of great information about the background and the process of cure violence that you can watch, some great videos. And on the bottom, there is a link for you to click if you want to be involved. You leave your information with us and we'll get you involved. Perfect. Okay, well, it was so good to talk with you both. Cedric, these were your notes, by the way. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. That's why I wrote it down at. <laughs> I got it in the exact <laughs> card. But I was like, I know I wrote it on that. I didn't even know you had that. I had it in the same Thanks for the notes. <laughs> wow, that is that is great. Wow. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you for having us. We yeah, thank you for having us so much. Join us next time as we chat with our local NAACP leaders. We have a fantastic conversation you won't want to miss. To catch a previous episode or for more information about United Way, visit unitedwayofthecv.org. Thank you for listening. We're so glad you're here to chat with us.